Welcome to the River Rain Show. I'm your host, Catherine Allen, clairvoyant medium and astrologer. Tonight, we will share great music, movie clips, short stories, or quotes, all on our theme of this week. So grab yourself a tea, get yourself comfy and warm, sit back and be soothed by the music, the inspiration, and the introspection. Welcome to the River Rain Show. Stop this world, let me off There's just too many pigs in the same trough There's too many buzzards sitting on the fence Stop this world, it's not making sense Stop this show, hold the phone Better days this girl is known Better days so long ago Hold the phone, won't you stop this show Well, it seems my little playhouse is falling down I think my little ship has Run aground Feel like I'm in the wrong place My state of mind is a disgrace So won't you stop this game Deal me out I know too well what it's all about I know too well that it had to be Stop this game Well, it's ruining me Thank you. 
smart for my own good I just don't do the things I know I should There's bound to be some better way I just got one thing more to say And that is stop this game Deal me out I know too well what it's all about I know too well that it had to be Stop this game, well it's wrecking me Good evening. Welcome to the River Rain Show. It is a muggy August night, and I'm sure a lot of us can relate to the feeling of that song, Stop This World, Let Me Off. (laughs) It's a very surreal time on this planet, and there's so much going on in terms of people shifting and changing and coming to terms with their lives on multiple levels and a lot of movement even though we're stuck in another way there's a lot of movement in other ways so tonight I wanted to give you a different perspective from a a book that I uh, well I discovered late I mean it's um, a book called The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck by Mark Manson and it's been out for years and I'd see it in the in the stores and I thought ah you know the the title was misleading and I didn't look deeper into it and now I have and it's quite a good book at first I thought it was going to be some uh, self-helpy kind of thing about not caring about anything and detaching from everything but it isn't it really isn't it's an interesting read I've been, well, actually, I've been listening to the audiobook, so the author actually reading his own book. And um, I find it very helpful, some of the concepts in this book about no more fucks. And it's not a book about not caring. It's more a book about values and um, choosing what to care about because we can't care about absolutely everything and that's part of what he's talking about and it's part of what we're going through right now isn't it where there's just so much going on in it's overwhelming to keep track of uh, whether it's in the lives of your friends your family your neighbors your community whether it's international events and of course the good old pandemic that's still here and uh, still one day at a time figuring our way through a new normal. It's a lot to process and 
I thought it might be helpful tonight to talk about some of the concepts from this book. So that maybe by the end of the show, you get a better idea of, okay, well, if I can't walk around basically giving a fuck about everything and everyone, because I don't, I just don't have the capacity to do it for the entire planet, um, but I can choose, uh, as he says in his book, there are good problems. There's good things to give a fuck about, and there's things that aren't worth it. Um, so it's very interesting. So it's an exploration tonight about a few things, about facing the unknown, about our values, about um, how to discern and maybe shift our mindset towards what is a good set of problems versus a, as he would say, a shitty set of problems or shitty values. Um, it's a time where everybody's reprioritizing. I would say, yeah, that, that would probably be the best way I could, su- I could sum it up because as a, as a medium and clairvoyant, as a, as a reader, people come to me when they're, when they're at a crossroads, when there's lots of decisions to make. And it's, I have to say, um, the, the tone of the session since COVID began is not what I expected. I, I expected a lot more, um, crisis energy and I'm not really seeing that. I'm seeing more, um, definitely anxiety and depression, but I'm also seeing an awful lot of people who are not crushed. They're feeling that everything is, you know, a bit surreal, of course, but they're more concerned about how to reprioritize based on whatever they have come to realize about themselves during periods of self-honesty. Now that, you know, when we had all this time locked in. So this is what we're about tonight. And I thought it would be very good timing. So I hope you enjoy the show and I hope you get something from it priority wise and of course great music that we always play so um i have only a couple of little announcements as usual i am still teaching i've just begun to teach meditation to kids online um that is tuesdays at 1 p.m it's like a 20 minute class it's for little ones so between four and seven years old and it's on a site called kidpass.com so you can go and see my class and sign up if you've got little kids who you know might want to post lunch little way to entertain themselves but also calm down for the afternoon if that's possible but I you know I will do my best to uh, teach them how to meditate in different ways and but I'll also offer some little Uh, lessons on the way about mindfulness, managing their moods and emotions, um, releasing energy. So I'm looking forward to that. If you want to join us again, it's kidpass.com on Tuesdays at one. And other than that, I want to just let you know that I've got tarot 
classes. I've got an online tarot series that has begun, began in uh, April, and you can join in whenever you want. Uh, it's uh, automated videos that come every few days to teach you the entire tarot, plus um, how to do readings and spreads and talking about ethics and how to, how to guide people during a reading. And also the last, lastly, if you want to join my Patreon site, Patreon, um, Catherine, Allen, Catherine River Rain. And um, there I offer, if you sign up for the, for the right tier, I have an astrology class running for the entire year. So right now we're in the sign of Leo and I'm going to be posting up all of the stuff about Leo very shortly. But I started in Aries, so you've got plenty of time to catch up if you want to have a way of taking a great astrology class. All right, so let's play our song of the week, aptly named, I've No More Fucks to Give. And I've tried even more I've cried, cried, cried And I can't recall what for I've pressed, I've pushed, I've yelled I've begged in hopes of some success But the inevitable fact is That it never will impress I've no more fucks to give My fucks have runneth dry I've tried to go fuck shopping But there's no fucks left to buy I've no more fucks to give Though more fucks I've tried to get I'm over my fuck budget And I'm now in fucking debt I strive, strive, strive To get everything done I've played by all the rules But I've very rarely won I've smiled, I've charmed, I've wooed And laughed, alas, to no avail I've run round like a moron To unequivocally fail I've no more fucks to give My fuck fuse has just blown I've been hunting for my fucks all day But they've upped and fucked off home I've no more fucks to give My fuck rations are depleted I've rallied my fuck army But it's been fucking defeated The effort has just not been worth the time Or the expense I've exhausted all my energy And now so fucked off they refuse to fucking stay I've no more fucks to give My fucks have gone insane They've come back round and passed me While they're fucking off again I've no more fucks to give My fucks have all dissolved I've planned many projects But my fucks won't be involved I've no more fucks to give My fucks have all been spent They fucked off from the building And I don't know where they went I've no more to give I've no more 
All right. <laughs> so that was a fitting song. So we're going to listen to a couple of clips from the author of this book. But first, I'll just start you off on one of the main tenets of the book, of the subtle art of not giving a fuck. Boy, it's feeling good to say that word tonight for some reason. Um, all he says is, giving too many fucks is bad for you. Now, why? Well, because if you care about everything all the time, it sort of means that you're bleeding for everything or victimized by everything all the time because you're all you're emotionally exhausted. So, we're going to start off the show with a little excerpt from the author himself on how to stop caring about things so much. inspired you to write the original blog post that inspired the book? I had the idea for the title for years. And the way I work with my articles is I don't, I don't plan them. I just kind of, I brainstorm a bunch of different ideas. And then when it comes time to write something, I just look at it and pick whatever feels good. So this title sat on my little sheet for like two, three years. And it's such a good title that I was like, it, I need to come up with something that, you know, deserves the, the fucks. So it was actually, it was like a dreary Saturday and I just started feeling very, I was kind of down. And when I get down, I start feeling very sarcastic and irreverent and just like to write a bunch of bullshit. And so I was like, I'm gonna sit down, I'm gonna write an article and it's gonna do two things. One, it's going to be the most offensive and vulgar thing anybody's ever read. And two, it's going to give the best life advice that anybody's ever read. And I'm going to do it at the same time. And I want to create this like mixture of emotion. And, um, and so, yeah, I sat down, banged it out and, uh, and it went crazy. It went, it, I mean, it was shared, I think over a million times. You make an important distinction about the subtle art of not giving a fuck near the top of your book. You say, not giving a fuck does not mean being indifferent. Mm -hmm. It means being comfortable with being different. Right. Talk to us about that. And this is this is a big hang up. Because when people hear not giving a fuck, they imagine like a guy drinking beer at a funeral with sunglasses on and like just being really disrespectful and indifferent to what's going on around them. And... Uh, the truth is that indifference is not, it doesn't solve any of your life problems. Um, indifference is actually just another form of avoidance of, of life's problems. And so a healthy form of not giving a fuck, like what, what people aspire to when they say like, oh, I just wish I didn't give a fuck about this, is they wish that they didn't give a fuck about uh, whatever adversity or, or struggles that they need to deal with to accomplish their goals. And uh, they have a hard time doing that. So it's not giving a fuck is all about learning how to simply be comfortable with the adversity. There is also value in another perspective of yeah. not beating yourself up yeah. for not being in those states. So I was wondering if you could unpack that a little bit for us. Yeah. I mean, one of the big points I wanted to get across with the book is that it's it's okay to feel bad. Like <laughs> we're all, you're going to feel bad sometimes. I don't care how successful you are. I don't care how amazing your life is, how great your relationships are. 
everybody's going to feel bad sometimes. Yes. And a huge component of living a healthy life is being good at accepting that. Because when you stop accepting that, you know, when you try to deny your anger or you get mad at yourself because you're anxious or you feel bad because you feel bad, it creates this feedback loop. You know, you start feeling guilty at how guilty you feel all the time, or you start getting angry at the fact that you're angry, which makes you even more angry. And then you just start spiraling out of control. And the whole problem is this judgment that negative emotions are not acceptable. You know, if you feel anxious, you say, fuck it. Being anxious is part of life. Like it's normal to be anxious. You're probably anxious for a good reason. If you're angry, you might be angry for a good reason. It's these negative emotions aren't necessarily negative. A lot of times they're very helpful. And um, and so it's just learning how to care about something deeper than the emotion itself. The other part that really made me chuckle, I loved Disappointment Panda, the superhero, <laughs> the truth-telling superhero that yes. nobody wants around, but everyone really <laughs> needs. And I love his sage wisdom. Don't hope for a life without problems. There's no such thing. Instead, hope for a life full of good problems. What is the Disappointment Panda, which I believe is really you, Mr. Mark Manson? Yes, yes. Tell us about that. Uh, disappointment Panda, there's a section in the book. I, I said, I want to create a superhero that tells people uncomfortable truths about themselves. And it would be a superhero that nobody would want around because it would just ruin the party. And um, But it's stuff we need to hear because uh, honestly, the most important things that we ever hear in our life are often extremely painful to hear. And I think when people think about some of their key breakthroughs, like they can relate to that. It's often really uncomfortable to like learn that thing about yourself that kind of sets you free. And um, so Disappointment Panda would be the superhero that walks around knocking on doors and like telling people like, hey, making more money is not going to make your kids love you. And it's like a stab in the chest <laughs> and the person like slams the door, but it's what they need to hear. And um, it's uh, in, in a sense, the whole this whole book, I kind of see this whole book or my work in general as being Disappointment Panda. And that's why... You have all the humor, you have all the fucks, you have all the the silly language and the superheroes and everything because ultimately I try to talk about really painful stuff and it's the, the only way you get people to listen to it or to read it or be interested in reading it is to, to make it fun. VVS, diamonds, every stone hit But she know she blow this cock, I'ma blow chicken Train to go get and go, I'ma go get it Hey, I'm bully with that shit, ain't no feelings in it We're from stealing out your house to stealing bitches Oh, bitch, you down the fuck, let me get up in it Ain't no smoking in this coat when you sit up in it Let's get drunk, high as fuck Post some liquor in my cup Girl, I know I'm 
fucked up, but I ain't never really gave no fucks I got gas in my lungs, so what? Baby, I ain't never really gave no fucks I just got a bitch, so I'm trying to show up I just signed a deal, uh, had to glow up mm-hmm. Me, Hennessy, and you, it's a party No cap, I'm with all B's like Cardi She got work, she finna be tardy I always beat it up, but I ain't never said sorry If I take another shot, I'ma be fucked up I'm a dark nigga, so it's Henny in my cup If she grab my thing, I'ma touch her butt At first, she was your wife, now this my slut Don't tell me shit, cause I give no fucks Like a ass whooping, I'm here to get fucked up If I told you I loved you, it's cause I'm drunk I just really wanna fuck Let's get drunk Pour some liquor in my cup Girl, I know I'm fucked up But I ain't never really gave no fucks I got gas in my lungs, so what? Baby, I ain't never really gave no fucks I just got a breath, so I'm trying to show up I just signed a deal, uh, had to glow up mm-hmm. I don't really smoke, but the smoke's on me Baby, I've been up three days, no sleep Can't close my eyes, I'm on key to You can't change yourself, so don't even try. I know that's not what the infomercials and self-help seminars tell you, but fuck it. They're wrong. Um, I think I think the big mistake that most people make is that they assume that there's kind of this like cosmic predetermined purpose um, that is out there. We're constantly surrounded by devices that are always catering to our, our whims and, and everything that we're feeling at any moment. And uh, in consumer culture, the advertising, everything is everything that we're presented with is presented in such a way that it's gonna it's gonna fix something, it's gonna make us feel better, that we're important, we're special, our dreams deserve to be achieved. And I don't think any of those things are necessarily true, nor should they be. Um, it's important when people get kind of sucked into this, they start feeling as though they deserve all of these things they're hearing all the time uh, without necessarily putting in the work or, or going through the pain and struggle that is necessary. Self-improvement junkies feel like they need to jump on every new seminar, read all the latest books, listen to all of the podcasts, lift all the weight, hire all the life coaches. For the self-improvement junkie, the purpose of self-improvement is not the improvement itself. Rather, it's motivated by a subtle form of FOMO, or a fear of missing out. The junkie has this constant gnawing feeling that there's still some magic tip or technique or piece of information out there that will create their next big breakthrough. The self-help junkie may get to experience the feeling of growth, transcendence, improvement, expanded consciousness over and over again. But just because you feel like you move forward doesn't mean you actually did. But self-improvement is therefore, in a weird way, ultimately self-defeating. The only way one can truly achieve one's potential to become fully fulfilled or to become self-actualized, whatever the fuck that means, is to stop trying to be all of those things.
lot of times we use our, our, our dreams and our fantasies as a way of kind of escaping what we're dealing with right now. Um, and I think the other thing about dreams is it's actually very hard for us to know exactly what we want. So it's easy for people to dream and, and envision like some big success. You know, we all sit around and, and have these big visions for ourselves. That feels good, that's great. The problem is, is that what actually produces success is our ability to enjoy the struggle involved in it. It's, it's fun to fantasize, but I think it's, it's also important to just be honest about what dreams are, is that they're fantasies, they're fun, um, but a lot of them are motivated, or they can easily be motivated by the wrong reasons. Most of us, we go through life fantasizing about all this amazing stuff that's gonna happen to us, and we were taught to always chase those dreams, chase that big, great moment. And I think that's a little unrealistic because success comes from hard work. It comes from dealing with pain and struggle. And so we need to actually choose the struggles that we enjoy. We need to choose the pain that we enjoy enduring. Growth is not getting rid of problems, it's simply getting better problems you know yeah. you, you never get to this point where you don't have problems in your life you just trade in your problems for slightly better problems right. like that's basically what growth is the key to living a good life isn't getting rid of struggle it's finding good struggles struggles that invigorate you struggles that feel important to you struggles that can contribute to the people around you it's it, it and it's a never-ending thing Please upvote and subscribe to my channel. From now on, I will focus on raw honesty and things that might really help you. Tune in for more. I love what he says in this in that last segment. Um, that's the author of the book, Mark Manson, and I love when he says that, you know, we have to love the struggle in order to succeed. We have to have good problems that we're solving in life because there will always be some problem. There'll, there'll always be something that we're learning, that we're struggling for, that we're striving towards. So you can either be striving and struggling towards what he calls shitty values, which we're going to go into in a second, like 
materialism or you know getting laid enough times to prove you're a you know you're all that or we can have good problems like how do I create a peaceful home how do I um, stand up for myself in a in the best possible gracious way you know what I'm saying there's that's those are both those are all problems that could be perpetual in life but one will lead you to um, to growth and insight and maturity and one the others the material goals or the sort of misguided or addictive type of energy goals superficial goals will lead to exactly that the path of addictive behavior and self-destruction and won't lead to insight so we're going to focus on that next because I think that's where it gets interesting and it can help us at a time like this you know I I brought this show up with this book because I thought you know if the world feels like a giant chessboard and an earthquake hit when COVID hit and the whole chessboard is shaking and rocking some pieces are still standing and some flew off the table and everything's going to be rearranged and chess implies that there's strategy right it implies all kinds of repositioning whether that's one country to another whether that's about trade whether that's about healthcare and um, you know the systems that we live by the structures we live by the values that we live by the the procedures we now have to follow to stay safe or whether you oppose them but the whole chessboard is in motion and so that means reprioritizing the problems doesn't it so we can either get lost trying to solve something way too big for us meaning you know we give a fuck about something way too big for us to ever solve and get depressed and crushed and feel helpless and like a victim or we can choose to focus on what we would like to rearrange on the chessboard what part of your life would you like to reorder or change right now how could you shift your mind so that you're playing more strategically what things do you care about enough now that you've had time to be at home to think to slow down what do you really care about what what's not working you know what have you not been looking at for a long time that actually needs to be solved versus the surface kind of filler like pleasure seeking that's where we're going if you really want to change your life and be strategic you have to take a look at like what things are presenting themselves and yeah they're a little painful right now because we were running and running and running busy 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 adrenalized distracted exciting sometimes but distracted society and everything has just sort of slowed down and the chessboard is all messed up you have to sit and look and go oh my gosh do I even want to play chess you know do I 
How much do I really miss my old life? Maybe I don't. Um, how much have I really looked within to see if I'm really happy or fulfilled with my relationships, with my home, with my career, with my, my city or community, with the goals that I set out? Do, you, do I still want them? You're allowed to change your mind. You know, and this is what the book I think is really good for and why I brought it up because I liked, like most of what he's saying in this book to me isn't really new, but when he framed the good problems and good values versus shitty problems and shitty values distinction, that gave me an insight or a light bulb moment that if you... Uh, reframe your life or shift what you value you can shift the kind of problems you'll deal with in life and have a better quality life and he gives some great anecdotes in the book Um, some, some real life stories of that which I might tell you one of them I won't tell it as in detail as he does but um just first wanted to share this quote from him again then I'll tell you the story he says our values determine the nature of our problems and the nature of our problems determines the quality of our lives so that that's more in a nutshell what I was trying to say that quote sums it up beautifully now the story he tells is um, about two different musicians One of them is, um, let me just look up his name properly because, oh yes, I think it's David Mustaine. Dave Mustaine. Yes. So basically, he was part of of a band and then he got kicked out of this band. And he decided that he would form his own band and he would just show everybody. You know, and so he did. He formed the band um, Megadeth and it's become an amazing, amazingly successful band. So he took one problem that he had, right, of being rejected or not fitting into his original band and he chose to make a goal of starting his own and becoming super successful as his new goal the thing is the band he was kicked out of for any of you who don't know already was Metallica which is like the biggest heavy metal band in in the world so according to this story I don't research I didn't research him on my own but according to um, the author of the book he said that basically Dave Mustaine in a in an interview was still sort of grieving and sad and regretful even though he'd become this huge success he still has sort of a a sadness or a grudge about being kicked out of the other band he still feels like a failure the other musician that he brought up is a guy named um Pete let me get it right Peter 
Peter well Peter Best. Now Peter Best was actually the original drummer of the Beatles. And um, before Ringo Starr came in. And he was cuter than the rest of them, and people wanted him to be the face of the band. And then the guys basically got together and voted him off the island. And um, it didn't say in his account of the story why. I'm sure you can find all that online. I didn't research it. But the point is, in his case, um, he was already sort of a stable guy when he joined the Beatles. He already had a steady girlfriend and, you know, was like a family guy, good looking, just had stability. Whereas the other guys, as we know, <laughs> went through many trials and ups and downs in, in their personal lives. But this guy, Peter, was, again, extremely depressed. I think it even said he was suicidal at one point um, when the Beatles got made, you know, made it so big and he was left out of it. But what he did, um, and what he said in an interview years later, was that his life turned out for the better, that he was kicked out. And he basically said it was because he sort of reframed what was important to him, and he valued having a family and having um, children and having that kind of security and stability that he found in his relationships over... Um, the fame and the fortune and so he's a happier person overall and that that's what the author means by you know the the nature of your values and the nature of your problems so I wonder you know if you want to think about it what kind of problems do you typically spend your time mulling over and what kind of problems could you replace it with that are actually more like goals that would bring you to a healthier life? So for example, like one example might be, you know, if I'm always obsessed with how, how I look or I'm feeling, you know, insecure about how I look and I'm hung up that people might reject me because I don't look a certain way. That doesn't imply a goal you know it's a problem because maybe I feel rejected or insecure all the time but it doesn't imply any kind of solution or goal to it whereas if I shift my values and I say um, I want to make sure that I'm fit and and healthy for the long haul and when you're fit you're beautiful and then my goal and my energy and attention goes towards being getting fit staying fit and it's not based on the problem of being rejected or the problem of rejecting myself right it's now the problem is problem quote-unquote is self-discipline or um, choosing the right kind of exercise or diet which already just shows that you're going to learn something and benefit from the results of it more than you could ever with the with the previous problem right the only way out of the previous problem is to have somebody come along and say no no you're perfect as you are 
and then you believe and and some miracle that you actually believe them because if you're so busy rejecting yourself even if somebody came along and said no you're you're just fine i love you just the way you are you'd look at them like what what's your problem <laughs> what's the catch so the problem really if you want to change that isn't to mull over and worry about if you've bought the right hair color or if your clothes are fitting the perfect way and whether people will approve of you know your new lipstick or the problem is why don't I love myself which is a good problem to be solving so we're just going to um, open the door to uh, a song that to me embodies more maybe the global problem or a bigger problem that we're having over here in North America. Then we're going to get into the nitty gritty of some of these good values versus shitty values and therefore, and just sort of narrow down what kind of quote unquote problems good problems and values come out of each one. So, but first, David Bowie.
Today's tyranny is achieved by flooding people with so much diversion, so much bullshit information and frivolous distraction that they are unable to make smart commitments. Again, Mark Manson. Stay tuned for this word from our sponsor and then we will be back. Just stop. 
Welcome back to the River Rain Show. We're taking a look tonight at The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck by Mark Manson. And all the leading, uh, lead-in description and um, questions that that book has provoked. So, how are you doing tonight? Are you finding it hard not to care about every single thing going on? Meaning, you're anxious and torn about everything and everyone in your world? Or are you able to discern and stick to certain things that fit your values and that fit your goals? Which, which does not mean being indifferent to other people. It just means that you don't feel like um, overwhelmed and victimized by life or what's going on, but you consciously say, okay, this I do really give a fuck about, so this I'm going to put some energy into, and it's a good goal, one that will help my life versus hinder my life. So we're going to take a look in the second part of this show now at what the author calls shitty values or shitty problems versus good problems and good values. And hopefully within this, you can start to reframe something for yourself. I can't quite pinpoint for me what, but it definitely did stimulate some change in my thought patterns to listen to this book. And uh, more in the sense of feeling focused and in the sense of being willing to reframe my values or problems in areas that I have felt stuck. And that's what I would hope for everybody tonight listening. So yet again, one more quote from our author, Mark Manson. He says, you and everyone you know are going to be dead soon. And in the short amount of time we have between here and there, you have a little limited amount of fucks to give. Very few, in fact. And if you go around giving a fuck about everything and everyone without conscious thought or choice, well then you're going to get fucked. So, you know, this isn't the normal kind of language or show (laughs) that I do. (laughs) But even that is sort of an antidote um, or just a departure to looking at things in a different way by having a little more fun with it. But the deeper meaning of this is really, it's true. If you walk around sort of bleeding for everything and everyone, and I know that I'm speaking to a lot of empaths and sensitive people when I, when I say this, because that's probably who's listening to this show. Um, you walk around, you know, sometimes so overstimulated by the sadness, the fear in the air, the anger in the crowds, the, you know, the interactions that you have over somebody that wants to wear a mask and do, or doesn't wear, want to wear a mask, the the things you hear on the news, the things you hear about people and friends that are going on. And if you start to, as the author says, give a fuck about everything and everyone, meaning you hear about good news, good news, and your mood goes up, you hear bad news and it goes down all day long, all the time. 
Because you're going to be on such a roller coaster, you can't discern where to put your your life force. Uh, you'll be so awash in the pain of the world, or the addiction of the world, that you won't be able to focus and make choices that help you get some of your goals met. Which doesn't mean you know not caring about other people and stepping on them. It's not about that. It's about getting to define what your life goals and values are so that you have a more fulfilling life and in order to do that you've got to discern what you care about yeah and that's tough for a lot of us empathic people because we hear one thing and then we're awash in emotion right and it's it, it can feel you can feel guilty um, if you don't go into a empathic or crisis-like state every time you hear something um, that has affected somebody in a, in a difficult way. But the thing is, folks, you know, we are in a time when we're hearing more news and more, and we're hearing it in a way that is faster and quicker and less... Um, with less emotion or context than ever before. We're hearing little one-liners of disaster and, you know, just toxic, disgusting human behavior on the planet. We're seeing fl images flooding our inboxes in our social media um, or campaigns coming into our emails, begging for this or rallying for that or showing us sensationalized imagery and the thing is, you know, we were never made to withstand how much is coming at us. We're all essentially in a state of post-traumatic stress disorder in our culture. Because even one horrific image or hor horrific story that you hear in your life or live yourself is enough to color you for life and be processing and recovering from it for a long time, let alone... Uh, you know, 20, 50 times a day that you're getting information bombarded at you that, yes, life is painful, life is painful, things are awful, people can be horrible. You know, we're not getting um, the good news channel. Oh, look, somebody just figured out how to put their car back together themselves. Yay, the good news channel. Oh, look, somebody uh, heard from their ex and it was a happy day oh look um you know we don't get that we don't get bombarded with like good things to feel about all the time and even if we did that would be stressful too the point is we can't live in a state of bombardment and that's what he means in my opinion by we can't walk around giving too many fucks we can't live in a state of overstimulation and, and be happy, content, healthy, or highly functional. So, we're going to go into now some of the shitty values, as he mentions. Some of the pursuits that we make into goals that actually backfire on us. 
So shall we start? There's so many. Um, and I've, of course, I'm going to play a great song after each one. <laughs> because most of the songs in our, in our society are written exactly about these shitty values. <laughs> there's very few, well, there's a couple good songs about honesty, but not that many. Most of them are about addiction. And especially in the last, I don't know, maybe the last 20 or 25 years, as everything just became deregulated and people sell things to us on the lowest common denominator, which is keeping us addicted so that we buy, keeping us addicted so that we hate ourselves. So most of the music, even though it's good music, is is about dysfunctional states of being. All right, so let's start with the first one. Pleasure, of course. He says, Pleasure is the most superficial form of life satisfaction and therefore the easiest to obtain and the easiest to lose. So imagine that your biggest problem in life is that you're seeking pleasure and you can't get it. Or you're seeking pleasure but it never lasts. Duh, this is the typical definition of anybody who's addicted to anything. Right, so try to imagine for a second and be honest with yourself how much how much of your life is about pleasure seeking right now? How much of your life is spent thinking about what would quell your tastes or cravings for something or help numb you out for the next little while, but it's not really thinking about any but it's it's like a a fix. It's a quick fix. And that could be anything. I mean, the typical ones would be, of course, drinking, drugs, sex. But also, well, food. But maybe it's um, after my next uh, video game, I'm going to go get up and do something productive, and then you don't. Um, what if it's about... Yeah, you don't feel like running a marathon because, well, why? It's uncomfortable. It's exerting myself. I'd rather just lie, lie around. Um, yeah, it's, it's temporary pleasure to be comfortable all the time without exerting yourself. But it doesn't work in the long run, does it? We all know people that are pleasure seekers for many reasons. You know, gambling. It's a high. Shopping spending, whatever that, you know, um, even, even athletic, like thrill seeking type stuff is pleasure seeking, even though maybe they, they gather some skills along the way. But, um, when your only goal is pleasure, you set yourself up for, you know, these rushes of dopamine and these crashes later and the, the roller coaster will leave you feeling more and more depressed each time, right? It'll make you, it'll lead you to feeling empty. Whereas if you're pursuing something that is more um, self-loving, self-respecting, self-discipline, then the pleasure will come from it eventually as you see some true success, something from a healthy core. How many of you can admit on a scale of 1 to 10, how much are you pleasure-seeking?
Frankie goes to Hollywood, relax. Talk about a song about pleasure. Let's move on to our next one. And that is materialism, material success. That's an obvious one, right? As a problem that runs the range of everything from just chasing money for money's sake to chasing um, you know, the house of your dreams, the car of your dreams, the, the lifestyle of your dreams, whatever that looks like, uh, but in a material sense, right? So if you, if you make it a problem for yourself in life that, you know, I don't have a big enough house, you know, because you've equated a big enough house with being a success and you don't have one. So therefore you're not a success. So you chase, being able to buy a big house and maybe you do achieve that house and it's way beyond your means or you're not as happy there as you thought it's not the life you realized or there's way more responsibility and and maintenance that goes into this house than you ever realized or maybe you're in that big house but you don't like who you're there with there's all kinds of ways that you know you fixate on a material goal and you'll kill yourself literally sometimes to get to get it and then you end up not being happy once you get there so he says when people measure themselves not by their behavior but by the status symbols they're able to collect then not only are they shallow but they're probably assholes as well well okay <laughs> Yeah, that's not my quote, but, um, yeah, because we all know people that are, you know, obsessed with material success, the way they look, the clothes they buy, the brand name on their purse, the, uh, the, the, the kind of car they're driving, the address that they live at, you know, um, where their office is, how big it is, what kind of couch is in there. You know, all of that stuff, like, obviously material stuff is fun. It can be a lot of fun. But it's meant to, you know, basically support us in terms of we need a certain amount of food and shelter and self-expression, perhaps. But when it's not about self-expression and it's about, look what I can afford, you know, look how much money I make. Look at how I think I'm better than you because I have this thing and you don't. Um, yeah, that's a shallow asshole. But 
if you can somehow enjoy your material pleasures without getting as attached to them, then you're in perspective. You know, you know that your couch or the kind of suit you wear doesn't define who you are, your worth as a person. But if you're able to afford it and you find it fun or it helps your self-expression, not in a showy, shallow way, but sometimes there there just are material objects that help us uh, express ourselves or a side of ourselves, then it's a totally different story. So if you said, oh, I, you know, I really have to have like a big house in my life, you know, um, or I've really got to live in that neighborhood because anybody successful lives in that neighborhood and it ends up that you don't get there. If you could shift that goal towards something else like, I really want to have a house that feels like a home. I want it to feel like a home. Now, oh my God, now, now all of that material status stuff goes out the window because home is a huge word that means a lot of things to a lot of people. Home, for me personally, means that I know that I can relax and sleep, that I'm not disturbed all the time by noise. That's a home. That's a good part of home for me. You know, home also for me means... A, an adequate amount of space to to decide how I want to do things in it. Some creativity over how I arrange my space or use it. Instead of, oh, well, it's, you know, just put it in the beaches because that's where the best homes are, so I've got to be in the beaches. And then I'm accepted by society, even though maybe you don't like the houses there. So if you use the word home... I want to create a home that feels like a home. Now you have bypassed the... You still have a problem to solve, but now it's got some value to it, doesn't it? So on that note, we'll leave you with this song. She's fantastic. I knew she'd be a star. She could be. She could be great. She could be a major star. She is a star, George. The biggest star in the universe right now as we speak. Those who love the set, the director's got all kinds of things. The director's hot. He's hip. He's here. He's going to be doing all kinds of things. He's going to change the color of the set. I like he's got a great idea for a blue. Don't change anything, George. He touches one thing, he's gone. I swear. He's history. I want to meet her. You got it. Anytime. Name the place. Name anywhere, any street. You got it. Now. still after me. He just gave me a necklace. I don't know, I think it's real diamonds. Yeah, he thinks he can impress me by giving me expensive gifts. It's nice, though. You want it?
So of course we had to play that one for material, <laughs> material stuff. So um, our next one on the list of shitty values is, of course, being right, always being right. Which was an eye opener when he said that in the book to me, because um, yeah, it's so true. How many people are addicted to being right? And how many problems does it cause? And a lot of people put in an awful lot of work reading things, um, being informed, staying on top of information, sharing things, debating it with people on Facebook, even if that's sort of, you know, redundant or like an exercise in frustration and futility half the time. But yeah, a lot of people are very invested in always being right. And perhaps if somebody's goal is to always be right, it does give some side benefit in this case because, well, you learn a lot of facts. But the thing is, if your goal is to be right, you're going to alienate a lot of people. And you're going to be, you know, like your own self-esteem and self-worth can just be taken out in, you know, in a millisecond by somebody who debates your what you think is is right or says oh actually no that's not what I read and then you'll just go back into restudying and being such a perfectionist about this or that that nobody could ever prove you wrong and then it gets quite ridiculous and obsessive so he is saying people who base their self-worth on being right about everything prevent themselves from learning from their mistakes they lack the ability to take on new perspectives and empathize with others. They close themselves off to new and important information. Yes. So there's one side of always being right that I just sort of mentioned where maybe the person gets very obsessive and stays on top of every, everything that, that's coming out on this or that. 
so that they can be right. But then there's the other kind that he's sort of alluding to, which is the more dogmatic, you know, person who's just decided, well, that's where I stand and that's it, that's all. And um, they don't want to hear anything from anyone else. They don't want to discuss anything. They're not open to hearing a different opinion, even to just mull it over or have a, a friendly debate. They're just, no, they're right. They're always right. So this is a harder one to admit to ourselves, if this is your thing. So I'm asking you now, nicely, how many of you are a little addicted to being right? I can admit it. I have that side. It's not my main goal, but I definitely have gone through periods where I was very concerned about being right. And it wasn't so much that I wanted to be right over anybody else. Um, in my case, and I think a lot of people, you're more insecure about looking stupid. So you've got to be really informed so that you're right, so that people agree with you and validate your opinion so you don't feel stupid. But, you know, there's various forms, as we said, of always being right, so... If you can admit that to yourself, I'll be very proud of you. And here is our song to go with that one. You're bloody well right to say. Oh, yeah. So, could you admit it? Do you have an addiction to being right? <laughs> All right, we'll drop that now. The last one that he mentions as, you know, a problem that we don't want to have in life a shitty value is staying positive. Yeah. I've actually seen a lot of stuff on this lately on, uh, online or just posts in general. And it's quite interesting that there's a backlash happening towards the overly positive movement, you know, cause we've been in that for a long time now. Um, now I want to make a distinction because we do need to be positive and we do need to reframe things in ways that are more positive. If we grew up with abuse and trauma, we definitely need to learn how to think positively or see some positive side or, or angle or um, reason or meaning in what happened to us. And there's very likely a very negative thought track that goes through your head, self-defeating or also self-abusing type of self-speak. So there's definitely a lot of value in the positivity movement. It's just that it has gone too far a long time ago, really, where the f too positive is actually fake. Because nobody is sunshine and roses all the time. And nobody says, oh, your kid is, is dying of cancer. Well, at least you get the opportunity, you know, uh, to not have to pay for his college or something like, what? You know, there's the, it's gone so extreme of rephrasing things to be quote unquote positive or seeing the gift in something seeing the lesson and the blessing in something it's ridiculous okay that's my stance and 
Also, um, if you ever read anything by Jeff Brown, which is amazing, he is amazing. Um, there's just a sense of bypassing basic humanity when you try to take everything anybody says or has has lived through or that happens to you or as spinning it in a positive light all the time. Um, it It's nauseating and it doesn't help anybody. So that's more what we're talking about, what he's referring to as the, you know, staying positive. He says, constant positivity is a form of avoidance, not a valid solution to life's problems. Problems which, by the way, if you're choosing the right values and metrics, should be invigorating you and motivating you. So very interesting, isn't it? Um, how many of you recognize yourself in that one or people that you know? Do you put an inordinate amount of pressure on yourself to be positive no matter what's going on and you don't let, your, let yourself feel angry? You don't let yourself cry? You don't let yourself feel scared for a little while? Because it's important that we feel the range of our feelings. Um, it's important that we don't marinate there. And that's where you need some positive reframing to help you step out in the face of that adversity and solve your problem. But we definitely don't need, you know, sort of bouncy cheerleaders telling us if we just got cancer that it's a gift or something. You know, you might come to see over the course of your recovery many, many things in your life that add up so that maybe that was a gift. But when it, people are, we're, what we're talking about is not the, not when people um, react initially to this kind of pain with positivity. Somebody that has lived through something very difficult and over the course of time um, and processing their emotions comes to see things the positive side of it isn't denying their experience isn't running away from their problem very big difference right so I wanted to play something that I found online that talks about the negative side of positive thinking repeat after me I will succeed I'm powerful. I'm strong and nothing in the world can stop me. A lot of self-help books tell us to repeat these positive affirmations and visualize success. But research suggests for some of us, these statements can have a negative effect. Visualizing success can actually cause people to fail. In one study, participants with high self-esteem and low self-esteem repeated the phrase, I'm a lovable person. Researchers then measured their mood and feelings about themselves. They found phrases that seem positive caused people with low self-esteem to feel worse about themselves, and people with high self-esteem only felt slightly better. In a follow-up study, the researchers found that when those with low self-esteem were asked to list negative self-thoughts with positive self-thoughts, their reported mood was better. 
It relates to the concept of latitudes of acceptance, that messages closer to your position or beliefs are more persuasive than messages far from your position. And messages outside of your latitude of acceptance can just backfire and strongly reinforce your original position. Sometimes our psychology causes bad things to happen to good feedback. For some, thinking I will succeed without considering how causes a drop in motivation. Another study showed that visualising success can drain our ambition. Participants were asked to visualise positively or negatively about things like winning an essay competition. Those who visualised positively about their essay winning prospects reported having less energy than the negative visualisation group. And fantasising positively about the coming week led participants to feel less energised and achieve fewer of their goals. Of course, our individual differences mean we respond differently to self-help techniques. Overall, researchers do suggest using more directed affirmations, saying, I select good gifts for people rather than I'm a generous person. And these positive statements kind of suggest we should only think positive thoughts. Don't ruminate on the bad stuff, but consider that the occasional negative thought could be motivational too. I'm a creative and intelligent person because I subscribe to Braincraft for a new Brainy episode every Thursday. That's Katrina in the Ways, of course, Walking on Sunshine, which is uh, sort of an ultimate song about overly, uh, you know, being overly positive, if you will. But sometimes that song's super motivating, and sometimes you want to punch that song in the face because it's just too much, right? <laughs> so anyway, I hope it's clear what this book is really about and I encourage you to get it and even if you listen on the audiobook I'm finding it really um, really helpful to go for long walks and listen to audiobooks I seem to be uh, processing the information or the ideas easier because I think uh, the walking helps and he's got a second follow-up book too so you might want to check that out because it's good to review our values and our goals and it's good to to pare them down to what we can handle and what brings out the best in us and the overly positive people or movement tends to as as the recording said actually make things worse sometimes because if you hold yourself up to something so far away from where you are at now you start to feel defeated and you might give up and not do it at all whereas if you just sort of say okay let's you know wherever I'm at now my goal is X okay so I'm going to do it a little less bad than I did last time but it's not jumping from where you are now to perfection and then you'll get mad at yourself that you couldn't reach perfection next time you know goals like like he's saying and I agree you have to enjoy or be motivated by the struggle of the you know the process of your goals 
the process of achieving your values. So if your goal, as we mentioned earlier, let's say is a big house with a certain address or, or a postal code, um, that's the perfectionistic jumping from zero to, to perfect. And it doesn't talk at all about how you get there or the struggle of it or what it means or what you had to do. And it doesn't say anything about enjoying it. It just is entitled to it. And you know what? It'll be empty if you get it without working for it. Whereas if you say, I want to have a peaceful home, I want it, my place to feel like a home. Well, now it doesn't have a postal code. Something could feel like a home to you in many, many, many forms. It could be a small little place with a little garden. It could be having neighbors that you love. It could feel like a home because of the tree outside. It could be big, it could be small, it could be old, it could be new, it doesn't matter. It could be the stuff you put in it that you bring with you from one place to the next and that's what makes it a home. It could be your pets that make it a home. It could be a number of things that represent home and so your journey of finding a place that really feels like home is a much deeper journey. So I'm going to talk now as we close the show just about healthy ways to go after your goals or go with um, problem solving. So if you have identified at the end of this show a way that you can reframe your goals or your problems to a healthy, a healthy one, the first is to problem solve. First thing to do is problem solve. So what is your first problem? Okay, I, I want a place that feels like a home. So you research your solutions. You practice a solution. You evaluate its success. You redo it or refine it. Or you pick a new solution. And when it comes to finding a place that feels like a home, that, that's quite a process because you might have to move there before you, you know, that's, that's, your, uh, that's your practice of the solution is move in and try. See if it feels like home. If not, well, I guess this isn't it. We move again. Most people would be go, oh my God, I hate moving. I don't want to do that. So they build themselves up and hope the next place is perfect. So you can get better at your researching your solutions as you know yourself. Maybe you know that home for you um, requires greenery. So don't go for something that isn't. You know, you can get closer to what your goal or your value is by knowing yourself better. The option, the second option is coping. Uh, whatever that problem is that you have, you totally accept it. You make peace with it. You turn it over to God. You let it go and you let it be wrong. Much harder, isn't it? Most of us would probably prefer the problem-solving one than the acceptance and making peace with or giving it to God. But often, you know, if you do manage to get to that state of mind where you can turn it over to God, you'll be amazed at the solutions that can come to you. Sometimes miracles really do happen at that moment of surrender. So if you have that problem and you say, I don't know, where's my home? I don't know where is home. I want a home. I need something that feels like a home. And you say, I, 
God, I have no idea. I surrender. Please, please show me. Please show me where my home is. I, I will accept whatever you show me. Then you might find that something pops up, a place, an opportunity, something that you never expected, and it might turn out to feel more like a home than anything you could have done by yourself. The last option is choose fixing or accepting. So ask yourself, do I have or can I get the power and authority to fix my problem? If I don't have the power, how will I cope with it? And I choose attitudes and behaviors that support fixing or accepting. Yeah. So I wonder if you can identify for yourself one problem. And how could you rephrase it so that it's a good problem? I wonder. I'm going to leave you off with a final meditation sort of humorous but sort of true and I wish you all a wonderful week and I hope to see you back next week for our River Rain show have a good evening sit or lie comfortably quietly allow yourself to be here fully in this moment with your eyes closed begin to connect with your inner world of thought and feeling Gradually, let the horseshit of the external world fade from your awareness. If you find your mind wandering to other thoughts, don't let it concern you. Just acknowledge that all that shit is fucking bullshit. You're here now, in this place, with your inner stillness. Those bitches can't get under your skin. They can't even. Take in a deep breath. Now breathe out. Just feel the fucking nonsense float away. Take full, deep breaths. Breathe in strength. Breathe out bullshit. Allow your breathing to discover its own natural, unhurried pace. If your thoughts drift to the three-ring shit show of your life, bring your attention back to your breathing. And with each breath, feel your body saying, fuck that. With passive acceptance, just allow distracting thoughts to float by. Fuck that. With each breath you take, your thoughts become lighter. And all the soul-eating cocksuckers just fall away into nothing. Take a moment to appreciate the silence. Those assholes can't piss all over a purity like this. You are weightless, timeless, without beginning or end. Completely relaxed and free of thought. And as you slowly open your eyes, Greet the world and everything in it with a new, beautiful breath of fuck that.